Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Leap Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Dubay. Now for context, this podcast is inspired from the book, Entrepreneurial Leap by Gino Wickman. Gino is the founder of EOS Worldwide and an author with over 2 million copies of his books sold worldwide. Now in his next phase, he is taking his passion for helping entrepreneurs by partnering with five equally passionate, successful entrepreneurs, myself included, who have created the eLeap Academy, where we teach the content from the book in a one-year program guaranteed to increase the success of early stage businesses. Now, a quick note about me. I've been an entrepreneur since the age of 14 when I started my first business selling blow pop lollipops out of my locker with my best friend. I ran a company that I sold to a public company and later bought it back. I'm an author, speaker, host of an annual leadership retreat, and I am partners in several other businesses. And I'll be your host for the Entrepreneurial Leap podcast, where every other week, you will be hearing life stories from successful entrepreneurs who took the leap into entrepreneurship. You will learn from their mistakes and successes and be inspired as you move forward on your journey. Now, I thought it would be perfect to kick off our podcast with the creator of the content and an extremely successful entrepreneur. So today's guest is none other than Gino Wickman. As an entrepreneur since the age of 21, Gino has had an obsession for learning what makes businesses and entrepreneurs thrive. At 25, he took over the family business, which was deeply in debt and in need and help. After turning the company around and running it for seven years, he and his partners successfully sold the company. Gino then set out to help entrepreneurs and leaders get what they want from their business. Based on his years of real-world experience, he created the Entrepreneurial Operating System, mainly referred to nowadays as EOS, which is a practical method for helping companies achieve greatness. He has personally delivered more than 2,000 full-day sessions for more than 135 companies, helping them to implement EOS. He is also the author of the award-winning, best-selling book, Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business, which has sold over 1 million copies, as well as five other books in the Traction Library that have sold almost 2 million copies. Gino is the founder of EOS Worldwide, an organization that helps tens of thousands of businesses implement EOS with the aid of an international team of 650 professional and certified EOS implementers and online support. There are over 200,000 companies using the EOS tools worldwide. And I'm so excited for you to learn firsthand from Gino. We go way back, back to his early childhood and how he was selling newspapers and all kinds of different things where his entrepreneurial spark got going. We move into his 20s when he was part of his family business and then on to what it was like to start what is now called EOS Worldwide. You are going to love the trip down memory lane, as well as all the many, many lessons and wisdom that Gino shares along the way. So without further ado, please enjoy my chat with Gino Wickman. Gino, welcome to the Entrepreneurial Leap Podcast. Thank you, Rob. I am thrilled <laughs> to be here and so looking forward to this time with you, my friend. The inaugural <laughs> podcast, the yeah. first one. Yes. And I could not think of a better person to have on for our first. And I always like to start each podcast with a quote, and I'm not going to change that. I'm going to do that right now. So here's my quote. And what I'd like you to uh, share after I say it is, if you know who happened to say it, and then what kind of what comes to mind when you hear it. Mm -hmm. So the quote goes like this, becoming an entrepreneur is not something you do. It is something you are. Do you know who said it and what comes to mind? Well, I never <laughs> speak of myself in the first person. I know person, you don't. So I, that is my quote. I yes, said it that is. quote. 
and you're too humble to ever, you know, so I wanted to bring that to the forefront. <laughs> that is, that's nice. But what does that mean? I mean, how did that come out of you and, you know, yeah. share what you was your thoughts yeah. around that? Oh, that's good. What a great place to start. So uh, um, that's nice and true. So the, the, the way this works is I think about all the people wanting to become an entrepreneur in the world and how hot that is now and how hot it has been for the last dec decade or two. And everybody thinks it's this tactical, practical, step-by-step, how-to manual, i.e. something you do when it is nothing like that. It is a shit show of, <laughs> of complexity and 10-year mess. Uh. And, and in my mind, you know, I just see shit flying and dust. And, and so it's it's something you are because it's a wiring and and only an entrepreneur with the entrepreneurial wiring and dna can survive that shitstorm because there's no <laughs> there's no there's no how to manual during that it's literally making it up real time so that's oh, that, that is so good that is so good okay so <clears throat> listen you're the creator of many things, the creator of Entrepreneurial Leap. I mean, let's face it, you're the reason that we're speaking today. And then you have uh, four other pieces of content, uh, Rocket Fuel, EOS, EOS Life, and the 10 Disciplines for Managing and Maximizing Your Life. And I'm going to share this. I know you probably want to tell me to shut up, but I'm going to say it anyway. You have a best-selling book called Traction. I happen to look it up. It's number one on uh, Amazon in the business section right now. So that's amazing. So everything in me wants to talk about every one of those pieces of content in the book and everything. And I'm sure we're going to indirectly. Uh, but for our listeners, I'm going to follow a format during each podcast where we're going to learn about our guests' real-life entrepreneurial story. And so today is not going to be any different. And so, Gino, get ready, because here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. So I'm going to start with the early days. And I want to think, I want you to think back to when you were growing up. And was entrepreneurship something that was even in your mindset? And did you notice anything about yourself at that time? Or upon reflection, did you notice anything about yourself that led to this idea that you might be an entrepreneur one day? Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, so here's the best way I can describe that, because I don't think I really knew what an entrepreneur was and that I was one until my late 20s. So for me, my ultimate light bulb moment was probably 29 years old, and it, but it was simmering and brewing and getting clear in my you know mid to late 20s. And I joined an organization called Young Entrepreneurs, now known as the Entrepreneurs Organization. So obviously the name of the organization was Entrepreneurs and I joined it at like 27 years old. So obviously the word was floating around out there, but let's jump all the way to, you know, age 13, 14, 15, eight, you know, my teens, all the way to my early 20s. I don't think I really knew what that word was. I don't think I knew what, that I was one, but I was surrounded by it. And so my dad was an entrepreneur um, of my, I have 15 cousins and most are business owners and self-employed. And so it was like all around. And so it's almost like, you know, a fish in water trying to explain water to a fish. It's like, what, what is water? <laughs> I'm just sitting here swimming in this stuff. And, and I, and I was literally absolutely crazy. I mean, I was a nut in high school. I was just a nut. And, and so I was exhibiting this kind of high quick start, uh, risk taker personality style. I was creative, lots of ideas, money-making ideas since I was 13 years old, probably younger if I think about it. So I was doing and being all of these wacky things that was an entrepreneur, but had no idea that that was an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And then holy cow, shoot forward to, you know, mid to late twenties, realizing that, you know, I'm not crazy. This is normal. Um, you know, this is a thing and you can harness this energy. That's, you know, that's when it was like, whoa, there's no turning back, man. I know exactly what I'm going to be and what I'm going to do in the world. Back when you were younger, did any of those money-making activities, did you ever take action on them or do you remember any of them? Oh, I mean, a bunch of them, you know, so as simple as 
you know, my paper route. Yeah. For those in the that don't know what that is, that's when you <laughs> delivered a newspaper house to house. I mean, that was that was nine years old. You know, I've, I've got a, a, a paper route. I'm collecting money, uh, cutting lawns, shoveling snow, um, selling fireworks. That was tenth grade. I wow. would drive to Ohio, buy fireworks, drive back and sell them. Um, uh, making selling stained glass that my brother would make, you know, that was 18, 19 years old. So just ton of money, but yes, I, and I definitely made money with all of them and some lasted a day, some lasted a week. Uh, but absolutely. Now in the book, <clears throat> there uh, is a list of what is called six essential traits of an entrepreneur. And I'm going to read them real quick. They are visionary, passionate, problem solver, driven, risk taker, responsible. I'm sure you haven't heard them before. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, you had something to do with that. But as you reflect on those six, did you notice at some point, as you ref again, as you reflect, that you had those? Oh, that I had those. Well, you know, so when you say at some point, I don't know if I know how to answer that because those six essential traits came clear to me Um you know, six years ago, after 30 years of working with entrepreneurs. And so they just kind of bubbled to the surface and then a whole bunch of research and trials and tribulations and back and forth. So six years ago is when it really came to me. Prior to that, I used all of those words to describe me in various different ways. I exhibit all exhibited all of those traits in various different ways. I just never put them all together in one definitional package that is an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just sticking with your youth a little bit longer, what were you like in high school? And did you take a track towards college or not college? I know I did not go to college okay. and I barely went to high school. So, <laughs> so I wanted to say when I, when I was in high school, here's what happened in high school. So um, I skipped a lot of school. So high school was a blast. I mean, I, it's, it was it's just crazy. I was in, at, at the perfect time for somebody as crazy as I was, who would have revolted from structure, any form of structure. So I was in the loosey goosiest high school you could ever imagine. And like literally would just come and go as I please. I felt like I ran the damn school because it, you know I knew everybody. They knew I was crazy. They let me get away from half the stuff. Um, and so I, we could do a podcast on all of the crazy, stupid, silly things I did in high school, but it was a blast. It was high school to me was just a one big party. Mm -hmm. And um, and and it's just an absolute blast. Now, with that said, I did graduate high school. I barely graduated high school with a solid two point three GPA. Um, I remember sitting with my counselor saying, "He's saying you're not going to graduate." I said, "You don't? No, no, I'm going to graduate. You're doing the math wrong." So I knew exactly the least amount I needed to do to, to, to survive high school. It was so great. And so we're having a debate and I said, your math is wrong. Do the math. And then at one point he does his math and he looks up to me realizing I'm right. And he goes, all right, you're right. Cause I was failing this one class. And I said, listen, I can fail that class. I'm going to graduate. Do the math. 2.3 GPA. Oh so my God. That is so good. Um, now, as you look back on those times, were there was there anything impactful, a challenge or something along those lines that you believe led you into entrepreneurship or later being successful in business? Um, I don't, I, I don't know, because I'll, I'll give you like a really, the really fast version. And what I realize as I look back is I just think it was a bunch of experiences that led up to an aha moment because, um, you know, my first real job was uh, being a um, uh, working in a party store, um, and that was most of high school. And then from there, I went to work in a machine shop right out of high school, and I worked in a machine shop for three and a half years. And then I saved up eight thousand dollars to then go take my entrepreneurial leap. And I was going to open a corporate travel agency. And I went to work for a corporate travel agency for six months and realized there's no way in hell I'm doing this. And then I started investing <laughs> and buying and selling real estate and had real estate agents doing me favors and decided I'd get in real estate so I could keep the commission, then found myself in real estate, selling real estate, 
did that for three years, was very successful at that, and then took over a family business. So I say all that, there's like, there's no point in there where the word entrepreneur came up or there was this light bulb moment or this thing that happened. But when I look back at every single one of those experiences, every single one of those experiences helped me toward getting clear on what I was good at, what I was not good at, how to spend my time, you know, the selling corporate travel. I, I mean, I was selling for the first time. Um, I realized, hey, you know, I'm really good at selling shit to people, you know, so that was like a light bulb moment. So now it was a whole bunch of different stuff that led up to, you know, and then taking over a family business, starting at the bottom, working my way up, selling my dad's products door to door, taking over the product sales division, then taking over client services, then becoming a trainer, then working my way up all the way up to taking over that business. I learned so much through all of that. And then running the business, being the integrator to my visionary father, watching him in action as an entrepreneur, you know, just kept getting clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. And then again, like I said, right around 29, it's like, all right, I think I know what I am and how mm -hmm. I want to spend the rest of my Interesting. life. Interesting. You know, and, and what are your feelings on people working in certain industries that they think they might be interested in possibly getting into their own business before actually jumping in? Yeah, well, 100%. I mean, at, whenever I'm mentoring an entrepreneur, that's one of my pieces of advice is, if, if when you realize the kind of business that you want to start or build, best thing you can do is go find somebody who's in that exact business and go work for them. Go work for them for free for a year. It's better than any college education, better than any education you'll get. Uh, hopefully you'll get paid. But nonetheless, just attach yourself to that entrepreneur, work your ass off for that entrepreneur, learn that business which is what I did in the corporate travel agency and realize, holy shit, there's no way I want to be in this 2% profit margin business that is competitive as hell and excruciating. So that's the other side of it. You're going to realize whether you really love this industry or you don't. Then shoot forward. I took over a family business in the training industry and, and, and educating and teaching people. And that's when I'm like, whoa, this is why I'm here, man. I love teaching, educating you know, turning the light bulb on for people. So fortunately, I found my way into a family business that was in the perfect industry for me. And when you're in a family business like that, where it's already operational, are would you consider that entrepreneurial or wh what is that? Well, I would, there's two answers, okay? So yes, it's entrepreneurial if you're the second or third generation that take it over, take the helm as the visionary and grow it to the next level. That's not really what I did. You know, I was the integrator to my visionary father. Certainly, I was doing a lot of visionary things. Certainly, I was doing a lot of entrepreneurial things. I had to do a complete turnaround of that business um, and completely re-engineer that business. But he was still the visionary, and I was still calling on a lot of his influence, ideas, insights. So, so you're an entrepreneur when and if you take over that business, the family business, take the helm and grow it to the next level. If you go to work for the family business and you're a working stiff for lack of a better term, you know, <laughs> so I was the integrator or let's pretend you're the head of marketing or the head of sales or the head of operations, then you're working for the family business and there's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that, but that does not make you an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So in the book, there's this section around the day in a life of an entrepreneur. There's the dream and there's the nightmare. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you can share your story, maybe just one of them. I imagine there's yeah. more than one not of the nightmare. Mm. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Um, well, and so this is where contextually, I want to make sure that I'm being clear and I'm answering it the right way, because, you know, I want... The business that I founded, started, and grew as an entrepreneur is EOS Worldwide. So now I want to jump out of the family business. So what I did when I realized what I was at 29, we decided to sell the business, sold the business. I stayed on for a three-year contract, which I got out of early, and then you know took my leap to go do what I believed I was here to do, and that was help entrepreneurs, and that's when I started EOS Worldwide. And so the nightmare, I want to look to EOS Worldwide for the nightmare. Now, the reason I'm saying that is this is really important. I had the luxury of working with many entrepreneurs over a five-year period 
before I ultimately decided to leverage and grow the business. So I had a ton of experience on how to avoid the nightmares because I was teaching entrepreneurs how to avoid the nightmares. So every once in a while, I may go back to the family business to point out a nightmare that I learned from that hellacious experience that I was able to bring forward to head it off at the pass for me as an entrepreneur and certainly for all of my clients. So I think one of the nightmares I don't have a perfect one because, again, I was able to head a lot of them off at the pass. But there's a point I'm thinking about in the family business when I wasn't doing meetings and just running the day-to-day, -day, turning the business around, firefighting, running that business and realizing that communication was absolutely terrible. I mean, we just were not communicating but my form of communication was just one-to-one -one, talking to people and fighting this fire and doing this turnaround. When I realized that once we started to formally have meetings and we met every week and then we met every quarter, everyone was on the same page. Everyone was communicating. We were crystal clear on priorities and things were literally twice as easy. Um, two times better at a minimum. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so then I brought that forward, teaching that to entrepreneurs and then brought that forward from literally the inception of the business. When I brought on my first person, we met every week and we met every quarter. And mm -hmm. so I just kind of headed that nightmare off the past because the nightmare is when people are just not on the same page. Your people are not clear. They're run ragged. They're exhausted. They're burning out. They're trying to find their way and they are just on board because they are following your sheer will, passion, uh, your charisma, and that mm -hmm. can only get you so far when building a business. <laughs> That's right. It's a, it's a great uh, experience share that you had to that. And it's a good segue into another part of the book, which talks about the eight critical mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to read these as well. It's no vision, wrong people, not spending time with people, as you just mentioned, not knowing who your customer is, not charging enough, not staying true to your core, and not knowing your numbers. So I think here you've mentioned at least one where you weren't spending time with your people mm -hmm. in the way that you know you felt was most valuable now that you know what you know. Mm -hmm. Is there one or two of these eight that you can draw on and think back of a mistake where you were that you were making. You know, it's so. I, I yeah, it's, it's this is so great because I don't know that I've ever been interviewed as an entrepreneur. I've always interviewed <laughs> as a teacher, as a content provider, as somebody who helps entrepreneurs. So this is actually clarifying. And I don't know if this makes for a terrible podcast or a great podcast, <laughs> but I'm realizing how I applied all of this to the building of EOS Worldwide. Mm -hmm. And it was not perfect. It was not easy. It was grueling building that business. But man, I headed a lot of this off at the pass because like an example is not knowing your numbers. So as I was in the family business doing that turnaround in the first three years, I was blessed with a business mentor named Sam Cup who taught me the concept of scorecard. And it was like the Red Sea parted. I'm about a year and a half into this nightmare of turning this business around. And he taught me this concept of having a handful of numbers that you look at on a weekly basis. And it was, I mean, enlightening. I had a pulse on the business. I could predict things. I could see things. So, um, you know, that was one mistake, was flying blind for a year and a half running that business until I realized how powerfully simple mm -hmm. it was to just look at it, a handful of numbers every single week and know exactly what was going on. Yeah, it's like you're reading my mind because my next question is about generating cash. And it's one of the scariest things, I think, in the early days um, for an entrepreneur. And, you know, I'm curious, and maybe that was the point in time. And if so, that's fine. But how and when did you really get focused on the importance of generating cash for your business? Mm. Well, you know, so that is ingrained in me. So the best way to describe that. So now let's go to 
you know, here I am, this entrepreneur in the making. I am 31 years old. I sold the family business. I just got out of a year and a half contract, three-year contract, but I got out early. So I did a year and four months. I told them I'm ready to leave every day for a year and four months, and they finally <laughs> let me go. Um, and so then I took nine months off. I took a nine-month sabbatical to soul search and decide exactly what it was that I wanted to do. I went into that sabbatical with a net worth of over a million dollars. My goal was to be a millionaire by 30. I was flat broke by 32. So I went into that sabbatical, a millionaire. I came out of that sabbatical, started this business, EOS Worldwide, the business EOS Worldwide, and about six months into starting it was $200,000 in debt. So a whole bunch of things happened. But the point I'm making in all of that is I was in crisis mode, but this is also kind of where I shine as a crazy entrepreneur. So, so the point is I am wired to generate cash. I am wired to sell. And so when I started that business, the business was the business of helping entrepreneurs run their companies. And I knew I had a knack to do this. I just wasn't exactly sure how I was going to do that. But I was fanatical, fanatical about knowing what I needed to generate every week to stay in business. And I even got to a point where a year and a half in, I sat down with my wife and, and we put a stake in the ground because I still wasn't fully supporting my lifestyle. I was continuing to go in debt personally. And I put a stake in the ground. I said, but if by June 30th, I am not generating this much money, then I will go get a real job or go do something else. And so in that state, it's really easy to focus on generating cash. And that's maybe why I'm so obsessive because if there is no cash, there is no business. So priority one is an entrepreneur starting the startup you got to generate cash. Mm -hmm. And every week I knew exactly what number I needed to hit to generate cash. And then I knew exactly what number to hit every week to hit that June 30th stake in the ground so that I could, you know, not fail my family and make this business. Oh, that off. is so good and thoughtful and intentional. Were you ever scared? <laughs> I was terrified. Are you kidding me? I just, I destroyed my body, my body. I was terrified. Are you kidding me? It was sheer terror in those days but but on that note incredibly passionate and believed i was going to succeed and and in other words mm -hmm. failure was not going to be an option but at the end of the day if i failed then i failed yeah i mean i already lost a million dollars i mean that, it doesn't get much worse than that <laughs> failure so i was already pretty good at failing that's great the book has a part about staying in your sweet spot. And you've mentioned, you, you know, that you were wired to generate cash. You also mentioned that you loved selling, you know, is, is, is that your sweet spot? And how does one determine what their sweet spot is? Well, here's what really important. I don't love selling. Please understand. I do not love selling. I'm not even sure I like selling. And I may even have utter disdain for selling. <laughs> I'm just true. really freaking good at it. So, so it's like, it's, it, so, so my product, my service, what I offer the world as an entrepreneur is, is helping an entrepreneur run an amazing business and taking them through this process that I created. And so to get to that place where I'm sitting in a session room with an entrepreneur and their leadership team, I got to sell. I don't want to sell. I don't like to sell, but I have to sell and I'm pretty good at it. And worst case, if you're not good at it, get good at it because you got to generate cash. And so I can't help but react to you saying I love to sell. That was not the case at all. I just I'm, I'm a trained salesperson. You know, it's not natural. The, the family business I took over was a sales training company. So I am a very well trained salesperson. I have a knack for it. I'm good at it. And I want to get to the good stuff so bad with every client that I can muster up the skill and ability to sell to get to that wonderful place of impacting a life. Mm -hmm. So are there tools that you use or anything that you recommend that's been useful for you to determine your sweet spot? Uh, well, I'm a huge fan of the strategic coach program. So when in doubt, get in strategic coach when you qualify, because that's going to teach you your unique ability. Okay. And so that's one way of saying this call it your superpower, call it whatever you want to call it. But that's an incredible tool that will take you through a very specific process 
to discover your unique ability. But when we say sweet spot, let's just broaden that a bit. It's just being hyper aware of you knowing the things that you love to do and the things that you don't love to do, the skill sets that you have. It's, so it's just being aware because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, me, you know, I lean toward the, certainly the sales and marketing side of things. And I'm not an operational person. That's not where I lean the most, but you might be an entrepreneur who leans more toward the operational side. So you're just being aware of where you shine yeah. And and it's not a switch. It's not something when you say, hmm, it's Tuesday. By next Tuesday, I want to know my sweet spot. It's not that easy. It's a journey of awareness. And what's crazy is it keeps getting clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer every single year. And so just start being aware of the shit you're really good at. And it will come very, very clear in time. Okay. Now, <clears throat> holding yourself accountable is really important as an entrepreneur. And uh, I'm curious for you, especially in your early days when you were just getting started with EOS Worldwide, you know, what does it mean to hold yourself accountable and just your own personal experiences around, you know, did you ever find yourself tricking yourself? Like, like you were doing something that you thought was important, but it's really because you didn't want to do the really important thing? Well, so let me do this because I, I there's three things that are coming to mind. And that last thing you said there, just don't let me forget to answer sure. that. Because I also, I feel compelled to go back to sweet spot for a minute because I don't want to lose sight of this very important point. Because one of the things that I have been masterful at is, you know, the the awareness I have of my sweet spot. Literally since I was 23 years old and I am now 55. So we're talking about 32 years of doing this. I have been doing what I call delegating and elevating. So with clarity in my sweet spot, I keep elevating myself to my sweet spot and then delegating things that aren't. And, and so every step of the way, now let's go all the way to the day I started that business. When I started that business, it was little old me creating this program, the EOS process, finding clients to then take them through this process. And I created that and developed that and built that clientele over a five-year period and then decided to leverage it. And then I took it to the world and found a perfect partner that was my integrator. And as this organization kept growing and growing, every step of the way, I kept delegating away the things that were not my sweet spot and staying in my sweet spot. So like I can remember two years in, three years in, my wife taking over my bookkeeping. I hate bookkeeping. I still can't read a PL or a financial statement to this day. And I've seen a thousand of them. So when she, when she took that all over, oh, all of a sudden I went to another level, freed up time to go further to my sweet spot, more energy. And then you can just play that out every step of the way from, from little old me to now shoot forward in time, there are 650 EOS implementers in a 750 person organization with 200,000 people running on that system. It's just constantly letting the stuff go that you don't love, doing the stuff you do love, staying in your sweet spot. So that's what I've done. And that's a big part of how I've gotten to where I wanted to get. So mm -hmm. I, I felt compelled to go back there. Now I'm going to go forward to holding myself accountable and holding myself accountable. Also interesting in that you know, I'm a fanatic about numbers. As I shared with you, I learned about scorecard. And so for me, little old me, when I started that business as an EOS implementer, I didn't call it that at the time, I came up with this formula that I realized, four, two, one. And what I realized is, is that if I met with, or I should say it this way, if I generated interest from one entrepreneur every week, and so this was a monthly number, four, two, one. And so one per week. If I went on two 90 minute meetings, I called it literally met with one of those entrepreneurs two a month or two, I would get one new client every month. And so my mantra for five years, mm -hmm. little old me building my client four to one, four to one, four to one, four to one. And so four to one per month translates into one, i.e. warm lead, I called it per week. And so every Monday when I started the week, I had to find a warm lead that mm -hmm. week and now shoot forward in time again. Here we are today, 22 years later, 650 implementers all over the world, all with their mantra, 421, 421, 421, So it still goes on to this day, but that's, that's how I held myself accountable was I, I could not finish mm -hmm. the week 
without generating one, which that would give me so my four good. two one. That is and then so I can't good. remember the second part of your question. That's why I knew I would forget it by now. Yeah, I mean, okay. I'm always curious, but I don't have a sense that you were doing this. But I think some people distract themselves with what they think is important and not work on the things that are really important because they really don't want to do those things. Yeah. So did you ever find yourself in that position? No. So this is the one little advantage I have over most entrepreneurs. Okay. And so most driven visionary entrepreneurs, a startup entrepreneur, an entrepreneur in the making, they don't have a lot of follow through. And so I'm blessed with a little more follow through than most visionary entrepreneurs. So there's like one out of 20 of us that have a higher level of follow through. What's unfortunate about it is it's OCD, it's madness, <laughs> you drive yourself crazy. So I, I I envy entrepreneurs that can let things go. I can't, okay? Yeah. So so I, I have that, which helps me. But again, there's we all have advantages. So it's not like I, the reason I pulled it off is because I had this special thing because the other 19 out of 20 don't have it and they're just as or more successful. Mm-hmm. So no, that I'm really good at, you know, the follow through, the prioritization, knowing what's really important. So I'm kind of blessed with that. Um, but no, on the other side, yeah, it's a constant challenge for a visionary entrepreneur because they're looking at 20 things every minute and they're not exactly sure which ones to, you know, tackle first. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a couple of minutes ago and earlier in our conversation, this this idea of having an integrator. And can you explain how that worked in your experience mm when you realized you needed an integrator and and maybe just also explain what an integrator is in the event that somebody doesn't know. Yeah, for sure. So again, and this is where it's nice to go back to the family business and then forward to me as an entrepreneur in the making doing my startup. Yeah. Because I learned this concept and frankly created this concept in the family business. So what I realized was my dad was a visionary. I was an integrator. That's when I coined those terms. And you know, for the last 30 years, I've been teaching that to the world. Now let's shoot forward to me as a startup. Every founding entrepreneur, a driven visionary entrepreneur is what I call a visionary. You're a visionary, this crazy wild energy, these six essential traits that you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, that's a visionary. And a great visionary at somewhere on in somewhere in their journey of building their business from zero to a hundred million is going to need an integrator. And an integrator is the counterpart to the visionary that counterbalances them and frees them up. And so an integrator runs the day-to-day of the business. All the functions report to the integrator so that the visionary can be free to build the company. And so I was savvy enough to know that I didn't want to be an integrator anymore. And I wanted to be a visionary starting at employee number one. Okay, and so what I did is, again, five years of creating EOS, when I decided I was ready to bring it to the world, the first thing I did was went and found a business partner who I gave 20% of the business to, and he was my integrator. I was the visionary. He was the integrator. He freed me up to just go wild and grow the business, and he ran the day-to-day, and we were the the ultimate dynamic duo, and so... um, I realized I wanted to spend my life as a visionary, never wanted to be an integrator again and went and found my perfect match. Mm-hmm. And so did you realize along along the way, did you feel like you were somebody who liked to have a business partner or were you more into, I mean, you started very independent for the first five years. Did What, what did you feel like came up for you as around yeah. having partners, not having partners? Yeah, so here's what I realized. In the family business, I was a one-third partner with three partners. So it was my dad, we had a third business partner, and myself, third, third, and a third. When I founded my first business that was 100% mine, I realized that I don't ever want to give up control. I want to have total control of the business. So I'm comfortable having a partner I just don't want to give up control. And so when I went out and found my integrator partner, I was very happy and willing to give him equity, but never give up control. And so that's why we were 20, 80 partners. And what what I did was, as we started, the first step was for him to go out and become an EOS implementer and reproduce all of my results. So our deal was, if in a year and a half, he could pull off what I did, then we would join forces. He would get his equity, become my integrator. And that's exactly what he did. And so I just realized, and along the way, as I built the business, as we brought in other key players, I gave up more equity. And so ultimately, when I sold the business, I was up to like 
63% ownership. And then the rest, I ended up giving my integrator an extra 10%. And then there were two other shareholders. But what I knew the whole, all the while is I was never going to give up control. I would have gone all the way to 51%, but never less because mm. I just had, at the end of the day, I want it on my shoulders. I want to make the final decision. I want to be in control. And that was just the kind of entrepreneur that I was. Was there ever a time when you were building EOS worldwide where you felt like, I don't know if this is working. We got to go to plan B, plan C, plan D. <laughs> <laughs> it, felt, it felt like often, but there's, there's, <laughs> there's one really big plan B where we went from plan A to plan B, because I really thought we had a great plan A and I was in love with it and I was convinced <laughs> it was going to work. So very specifically, what I realized the model was, is once I created this EOS process and realized that it's a matter of now we just got to find EOS implementers, these people that love working with entrepreneurs, wanted to teach this system to them. My partner, Don, was the first one. And the idea was we would find these people and we would do a, a revenue share. They would pay us 15% of their revenue. And we would build this army of EOS implementers, take our 15% and build this really cool company. Um, what we realized is that 15% of zero is zero. <laughs> so the ones that weren't producing, and there were many in those days, and, and Don and I were killing ourselves trying to find EOS implementers. And there was a point if you could fog a mirror, we'd bring you in. But And I'm being a little extreme, but, but as we, when I realized, so at the time we had about 20 EOS implementers and there were a handful that were wildly successful. And so we were making our 15% from them. Then there were some in the middle. Then there were a handful, they weren't doing anything. And we are pouring our souls, our hearts, our time, our energy into these people. And it's like, we're getting no return. This is ridiculous. So what happened is I was, I, I, I spent time in, so I go to a Starbucks once a week for two hours. I call it a clarity break. And, and in the Starbucks, I, it's when I get clear and, and we are at the crux. Don and I were a year and a half into starting the business and um, it wasn't working. And so I sat there pouring over what I call the dots. And I'm just looking at all the things that were working and were, weren't working in the business. And I read a book called The Starfish and the Spider, which kind of describes more autonomous organizations and more command and control organizations. And um, in Seth Godin's book, Tribes, it's not like your audience needs to run out and read those books, but I'm just making the point that I, I, it was a lightning bolt moment after. And I think I spent the full day in the Starbucks on that one because we were failing. I mean, we were literally going out of business and, and it hit me. And then, so then the model, what we changed it to is we changed it to a flat fee. They would pay us a flat fee every month, whether they generated revenue or not. We would charge for our upfront front training. And so what we did is we charged a series of fees for them to come and pay to play in our system. And literally overnight, the model mm. took off. So I stood wow. in front of these 20 implementers, petrified, saying, you're all going to start coughing up this much money every month. But the ones that were really successful got a pay increase. So right. literally one of the, the most productive one, literally like $60,000 less a year they were paying. So he came up and he said, thank you. You just bought me a Mercedes. You know, So he was excited, but he's the only one The the, you can imagine the seven or eight that weren't paying anything where their eyes popped out of their head and said, holy shit. So, you know, three or four left, the ones that weren't producing rose up. And it literally, I mean, it was like an overnight, the business took off from there and it was terrifying presenting to them because I thought they were all going to leave, but for the one. And then again, as I keep saying, shoot forward in time. Now there's 650 of them. Yeah. Okay, a quote. Same thing as before. Do you know who said it and what comes to mind when you hear it? It goes like this, quote, you are the culmination of books you read and the people you hang around with. I'm setting well, you up. Come on, well, I'm setting you up. So here's the thing. In fairness, that's not entirely my quote. That quote has been quoted like by a 10,000 different people. So I don't know where it goes back to, but it almost seems like every great quote goes back to like biblical times. Um, so I don't want any credit for that quote, 
but it is true. What's most important is it's true. And so I love that somebody said, you know, you lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas, or, you know, it's hard to <laughs> fly like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys. So it's like the opposite <laughs> of that, which means if you're surrounded by eagles, you're going to become an eagle, you know, it's, so right. it's, 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 so read great books, be around great people, you will become great, but you're hanging around with, you know, anyway, you get the point. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, you mentioned earlier one of your mentors by the name of Sam Cup, who I know yeah. is sadly no longer with us, but had such an impact on you. But yes. when did you realize that a mentor would be valuable for you? And mm. then how did you go about making it happen? Yeah, so, um, you know, so what's so ironic, going back to my story is, you know, I had utter disdain for formal education, academia, and could not wait to get out of school. But I'm a fanatic for learning. I mean, I am a sponge. I have read more books, taken more classes and seminars than, I mean, than you could ever imagine. And so my point in all of that is, couldn't wait to get out of the school system to educate and learn the way that I like to learn. So I got the learning bug at like 21 years old and I just couldn't get enough. So, you know, all of those seminars and books and learnings were all forms of mentoring. So I feel like the answer to your question is I learned that in my early twenties, but my first official mentor, somebody who formally took me under their wing and said, I am going to teach you everything I know was at 25 or six years old, and it was Sam Cup. Mm -hmm. So I heard of mentoring through all my reading and learning. I understood what mentoring means um, or meant, but the first real formal experience was then with Sam Cup. Mm -hmm. And so when you would meet with your mentor and maybe future mentors, what would you like? How what was the process? Like, what what was what was your responsibility in the relationship, and what was the mentor's responsibility in the relationship with you? Yeah, yeah. So what happened is our first get together was just a get together. You know, it wasn't like a, a mentor recruiting interview. It was <laughs> it was he and I getting together to just talk. And yeah, I mean, we genuinely fell in love with each other. You know, it's like I saw the wisdom that he had and he saw that I was a sponge for knowledge. And so he saw the opportunity to transfer his knowledge, which is what every mentor wants to do. And, and I wanted to learn. So we had an amazing meeting that felt incredible. And then, you know, I just simply said, can we meet again? And we did. And then we met again. And so it still wasn't formal, but we met again and it was just as powerful. And then it came to a point where we met every month, you know, and I can't remember exactly whether it was his suggestion or mine, um, but we basically met every single month. And it wasn't formal from a standpoint of you do this and I'll do that. It was just we met every month for about two hours in his office. And what I would make sure I did was you know, took copious notes and applied everything he taught me and then just gave him great feedback on how what he was teaching me was working, which I think filled him up and validated him, you know, that he was not wasting his time on me. Mm -hmm. And so that's how that kind of all just evolved. So good. And then yeah. what's also important to say, though, is my dad, you know, has been my mentor probably a year before Sam Cup, he formally became my mentor. So my dad was my greatest mentor, but my dad was my people mentor. He taught me how to lead and communicate to and motivate and inspire people. Sam taught me how to run a business. So it's like I was armed with these two incredible mentors. Yeah. And it goes to show, you know, you, you you connect with different people in that type of relationship and they have different things, different wisdom to offer you. And then you bring it together. Exactly. You, you know, we've in the book, there's a list of eight must do's that are recommended for early stage entrepreneurs. And we've hit a number of them already, but I do want to read them. Yeah. And they are have a clear vision. Do you think in 10 year timeframes? Are you a partner person? The bigger the problem you solve in the world, the more successful you'll be. Get feedback from customers and clients early and often. Always have a plan B. Work hard, really hard. Take criticism and doubt with a grain of salt and see it every night. And I wanted to ask you about uh, the seventh one, which is take criticism and doubt with a grain of salt and how that played out for you in your entrepreneurial journey. Oh, you picked a good one. Um, 
Oh my God. So there's two things that really stand out. Um, so I'm a fanatic for learning. I'm a fanatic about getting insight and advice and feedback and perspective. And, and I'm a fanatic about anytime I create a product or a service, getting feedback from my clients, you know, real world people who are using the product. And again, a fanatic about asking mentors for advice. And, and so assuming you're that kind of person, and I read a lot and get a lot of information, if you're that kind of person, you have the the, the data input is overwhelming and daunting. <laughs> and so you've got to get good at filtering that. And most of it is bad. Most of it is bad. Based on you, me, the entrepreneur, and what I want to build, 85% of what I learned is bad. It doesn't fit in what I wanted to build. And so I've got to be really good at filtering it. And, and, and advice you will get from friends and family and mentor is bad. So the two things that come to mind is, I remember I was in my... EO forum, there were 12 of us. And I had my aha moment at 29. When in this, you know, as it evolved, maybe I was 30 or 31 when I presented, but I presented to them, here's what I'm going to become. I'm going to become a virtual CEO. That's what I called it at the time. And I'm going to do this with clients. And and almost every one of them told me it'll never work. <laughs> and there was only all these one other entrepreneurs. Oh, my, exactly. <laughs> and there was only one, one that had total faith in me. Um, but but the rest just they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Didn't see how it could work. So so I had to take that advice with a grain of salt. And so imagine if I listened to them. I mean, I, um, and then the other one was, uh, um. It's kind of a two-parter. So this is two dear friends. And then, so I'm five years into creating EOS and the process and it's working. And one of them was a client. Now that I think about it, both of them were clients. Um, and the one that was a client, I said, here's my vision. I am going to leverage this and I am going to build an army of EOS implementers. And he said, Gino, there's no way. Nobody can do what you do. It's not replicatable. <laughs> so if I would have listened to him, I mean, we, you and I would not be on this podcast right now. And then when I created a, a when I put it all on an electronic platform um, for the world to have access to and self-implement, the other client said that that could never work, you know, mm -hmm. so you just take it with a grain of salt. You're going to get lots of bad advice. And then I realized, you know, family members and friends, they're all just trying to protect me, you know, so I got to take it with a grain of salt because some of them are so fear-based. It's really not good advice to be asking. So take it all in, but then filter it all out the 85% yeah. and bad doesn't mean bad in the way it sounds bad just means it doesn't fit. So none of 85% didn't fit for me. And I had to perfectly glean the 15% that kept making me better and growing my business faster. Mm -hmm. It's it's a talent to do it, to really find the 15% and uh, get really clear about what it is you exactly need. So don't give up on it. I, I would say to entrepreneurs, keep asking. That's an important part of the process. Um, I have a couple last questions I wanted to ask you. And the first one is nowadays there's so much hype that the media gives to successful entrepreneurs. And, you know, there's a TV show, Shark Tank, things like that, uh, that we see. And I'm just curious what you think about the impact that is having on people who are considering taking an entrepreneurial leap. And does it seem like it's like almost like being a movie star these days, like you're going to be famous or something and mm. just love your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, you know, so now you're, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to answer this as an entrepreneur. Yes, exactly. Who started my business and built it. Um, you know, I wouldn't have needed Shark Tank and I would, I wouldn't have needed any of that. Okay. So I, and I'm not knocking it. Um, but here's why I wouldn't need it. Okay. Because here's the type of entrepreneur I am. I, I have never and will never have debt. Okay. So I built the business grassroots groundswell bootstrap. And so when I talk about being $200,000 in debt, that was $200,000 in personal debt in my personal life due to past sins. Never have I taken a loan and investment in my business ever not interested. So the point is, I'm a bootstrap entrepreneur. I would rather it take twice as long to build it, but I have total control and own 100% of it myself before I will 
get a loan or sell some of it to somebody. So obviously with Shark Tank, that's where that flies in the face of that. So I'm not going on Shark Tank because I don't want their money. I don't want to be beholden to them. So Don and I built it from the ground up. And, and I personally love that. I want it to be a grassroots, groundswell, referral base, and just kind of a steady eddy growth. And to me, it just feels more solid. And then the last point is, I never wanted any accolades. Like I, I don't want to be on the top 5,000 fastest growing this. And, and, and so there's a great quote in, in um, good to great that just warms my heart. And, and I claimed it for myself because he talks about, he says the greatest business in America will never know because it's some $10 million business <laughs> that's highly profitable that doesn't want to be known. And that was us. I mean, that's what I sold. I sold that $10 million highly profitable business. I don't want to be on anybody's radar. I don't need the accolade. I just want to make an impact on the clients. And that's it. And that's all I care about. You don't need yeah. to, you don't need to put me on a list. I don't need it. So anyway, so that's just me, little old me, and I'm not alone. But then there's some that they want to be on the cover of the magazine and they want to be on TV. I'm not going to knock any of it. Case or I, everybody's different, mm -hmm. but yeah. not for me. Yeah, yeah. Were there any programs, you mentioned EO, other organizations, you mentioned Strategic Coach, anything else that could be helpful for uh, an entrepreneur who's taken the leap or who's thinking of taking the leap? Yeah, um, well, there's lots of stuff, um, mm -hmm. but again, I, I can only speak from experience and Strategic Coach made a huge impact on my entrepreneurial life. And I'm a 25-year student of that program, so that would be evident by that. E EO was incredibly impact. I mean, EO is near and dear to my heart. I was an eight-year member of that organization and it made a huge impact. Um, so those were the biggies. And I don't think there's a close third. So those okay. were the ones that had an impact for me. What about a book or two? Well, I always recommend, you know, any entrepreneur in the making must read Think and Grow Rich. Okay. I mean, it's like a, you have to, to understand the mindset and the psychology. So Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And then let's jump forward to, you know, now you're an entrepreneur and you're building your business. Um, I'm not going to recommend any of my books, but I recommend you read them. It's really hard for me to say that, but it's true. I mean, this is what I wrote all this stuff for, but I'm not, so I'm going back to the books though, that really had an impact on me as an entrepreneur coming up. And um, so right now I'm choosing between a handful right now and really trying to think about the one that really, um, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People really had an impact on my life. Um, there's an audio recording called The Strangest Secret by Napoleon, by not, but by, um, by Earl Nightingale, which is was huge in my life. And then, you know, probably the business book that had the greatest impact on me. Ooh, so tough. Um, so I just have to say both. I would say E-Myth and Good to Great. Those probably had the biggest, they were like the aha, voila, wow moments for me. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's a few. That's fantastic. All right, I'm going to give you one last shot here. Is there anything else that we need to share about your experience as an entrepreneur to those who are considering or have taken the entrepreneurial leap and are in an early stage? Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking down at this list. So before the podcast, I sat down and I thought about the whole thing, building EOS from the ground up and then selling it five years ago. And so I have a list of 10 things I wrote here. And, and I think we hit them most, but I'm just going to quickly skim it to see if there's something that overtly I did not say. And so please bear with me. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, so here's, so this is the one thing that was not overtly said. Um, I see two, so I'm gonna say them fast. The first is please find your passion. Okay, so I really believe the way that I endured sheer hell, 10 years of hell building a company, and that's what it is, building a company, 
um, was passion. I mean, literally, I just had so much passion. And every time I got knocked on my ass, you got to be an idiot to get back up. But I would get back up and I would get knocked <laughs> on my ass again. And I would get back up because I was so passionate. I, I really believed I could help these entrepreneurs. And then the, the second thing is, I saw it every night. So literally, I, I from the day I started the business, I saw the end game. I saw the end game so clearly. And it was like a 20-year end game. And yeah. so every single night, laying in bed with my head on that pillow, I saw it in vivid color. Mm -hmm. The whole world embracing EOS. So see it every night would be my advice there. That's what I did. So perfect. Well, Gino... Thanks so much for taking time to chat with me about all this today. I really am grateful to you. Pleasure, man. It's so great to see your face, brother. I appreciate you so much. And to all the amazing entrepreneurs listening today, I greatly appreciate you spending time with us. And I wish you all much love and gratitude along your journey. <laughs>